The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie and the Onions. And special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 19 The Fort Why did you send a telegraph to yourself? I asked Paris, as she took my hand and led me out of the telegraph office. I didn't send it to myself. I sent it to the other Annalie. There are two of you? One of you is so much fun. I cannot imagine having two of you. There's not two of me. There's one her, and there's one me. She's Edgar's wife. You have a sister. You said you didn't have a sister. She's not my sister. She's Edgar's wife. That counts. That makes her your sister-in-law. I said as I stomped my foot. Paris stopped for a moment and looked up into the sky as if contemplating this realization. I don't like to think of it that way. We had reached the fort earlier that morning. The fort had once been a cavalry outpost and a kind of resupply station for people heading further west. But not everybody made it further west. For many, their journey ended here. They would either run out of money and could not buy supplies to continue, or the long journey to get here exhausted them to the point where a small rest became a longer one, and a longer one became permanent. Whatever the reasons, the fort became a refugee camp of sorts. The camp became a town, and the town became a city, but the fort remained. It was still being manned by the cavalry, still marching around in their blue uniforms and shiny hats. As Odysseus arranged with the wagon master and the chef to resupply the caravan, Paris and I set to go shopping. I tried to pretend like I went shopping all the time, and it was a thing I knew all about, but I made my first mistake immediately. I asked Castor for some money. He told me that ladies should not carry money, and that if I wanted to go shopping, he would have to follow and pay for anything I wished to purchase, and that it would also be his job to arrange the purchases to be sent back to the carriage, so I would not have to carry them around. As he said this, Paris gave a slight laugh as she counted the money in her billfold and slipped the billfold into her back pocket. The first shop we went to was a general mercantile, and though most of the tools and feed supplies didn't interest me, there was also a counter dedicated to penny candy. I was in awe. All the colors and the patterns, every way you could twist sugar and make it more appealing, was all lined up in jars on shelves that stacked higher than could be reached without a step stool. I picked out several of almost every kind, and soon I had a large bag. Paris smiled. As she followed me through the shop, she remembered her father having been fond of candy. She remembered his story of doing exactly this thing. Paris bought a roll of Necco wafers for herself. Then she saw the telegraph office. She asked me if we could stop in. I told her, we can do anything you like. The tips of her fingers brushed across my shoulders as she walked past me, she whispered. Wouldn't that be a show? As we exited the telegraph office, Paris seemed to stiffen. She was no longer looking at me. The focus of her attention was further back. Come on, I said. There's a bakery over here. We can get some cakes to have with our tea. 
but I had to practically pull her to the store as I could see her strain to look over the heads of other people on the street. Inside, the bakery was more beautiful than the candy counter. I began to select cookies and pastries. As my pile began to grow, Paris set a hand on my shoulder. We can't eat all that. We don't have to eat it all ourselves. We can share it with the other men, and I'm sure Castor will want some, I explained. You're right. I'm sure they'll love it. After Castor paid for the treats, he had them boxed up and arranged for them to be sent to the carriage. I began to head for the door, only to have Paris pull me back. She grabbed me about the waist, and even through the corset I could feel the intimacy of her hands on me, guiding my body and holding me. I longed to be alone with her again. Wait a moment, she said in a dark, serious tone. Pick out one more pastry. We'll eat it right now. Okay, I said, heading back to the counter. I picked out a cream puff. The delicate thing was piled high with whipped puffed cream and sugar. Informing them I wanted it now, they served it to me on a plate with a fork. I took a bite, and it was heavenly. I turned to share it with Paris, only to find that she was still staring out the window, straining to see something in the distance beyond the shops. "'What's going on?' I asked. "'We're being followed,' she said, not turning back to look at me. "'Kidnappers?' I questioned. "'Cavalry,' Paris said flatly. "'We don't have to be afraid of the cavalry. They're the good guys.' "'My mother told me never trust a man in uniform, no matter what color that uniform. "'A man in uniform does not control his own life. "'He follows the orders of other men who think they're above people.' Men who see other people's lives as numbers in a ledger. I stood next to her and tried to see out the window, to what she was looking at. It just looked like a normal street to me. I removed my gloves and then took two fingers and swiped it across the cream puff. Paris was still not looking at me. I placed the two fingers covered with whipped cream in front of her mouth, then slowly touched them to her lips. Realizing what I was doing, her eyes went wide, and she smiled at me. Her tongue flicked out and licked the cream off my fingers. "'Remind you of something?' I asked. She flushed. "'Let's wait a bit. We'll enjoy this puff, and then we'll leave. When we do, be loud. Laugh and talk. I want them to see us. I want to make sure they follow us. Then walk slowly over to the dress shop down the street on the right.' I nibbled on the cream puff feeding bites of it to Paris every once in a while, as she stared out the window. I offered some to Castor, but he refused. When it was all gone, I handed the plate back to the shop owner and thanked her. I put my gloves back on and straightened my hat in the mirror and asked, Are we ready? Yeah. Remember. Happy. Loud. Dress shop. Got it. Don't worry. We stepped out into the street, arm and arm. Our laughter was loud and sounded fake to us, but it didn't really matter. I decided to change my name, I announced in a loud voice so that it could be heard at a distance. Paris stopped in the middle of the street and stared at me. After all, I looked at her and pulled her forward. A married woman is supposed to change her name. What are you going to change it to? Helen Lee, of course, I said just as loud, walking slowly to the dress shop. Paris spotted two cavalry in front of us and three men following us. She maneuvered me to move so that we would meet up at the same point, slowly pacing so that 
we would be surrounded as we reached the door to the dress shop. I should change my name as well. We could switch. Yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't work. We're supposed to have the same name. But a wife is expected to change her name. And I expect someday you might. The question is, which name? I squeezed her hand and stopped in the middle of the street. We were standing in front of the dress shop now. Paris quickly glanced around to be sure that we were surrounded. Oh, look, a dress shop. Shall we go in? Paris asked in a loud voice. I turned to look at the shop. In the window, with a sign that said, New from Paris, was a wedding dress. Sometimes the goddess leaves you a sign. Sometimes that sign is literally a sign. Yes, please. Let's go in, I said, smiling. Paris held the door for me as we stepped into the shop. Castor stopped at the door. It was not considered socially acceptable for a man to enter this kind of shop. He knew that inside there would be women's undergarments and all sorts of sundries. Then he also remembered that he was a butler, and therefore a servant, and was expected to follow his lady no matter where she went. So it would be acceptable for him to enter the shop on this type of occasion. He looked around just for a moment. He saw the men in blue uniform talking back and forth to each other. They also seemed a little confused as to what to do about the situation. They also could not enter the shop. Castor smiled. Now he understood why Paris had chosen to come here. He stepped into the shop. I immediately went to the clerk and asked about the dress in the window. She was so excited and happy to show it to me. She only looked questioningly at Paris two or three times. As she took the dress down, she whispered, Is that girl with you? Yes, I said. Why does she have so many guns? She doesn't like to use the same one twice, I joked. The woman laughed as she gathered the other pieces of the dress. Come, we have a dressing area in the back, and I will need to take your measurements, the woman said. I looked at Paris. She was still watching carefully out the window. Anna, I'm going to the back to try on a dress, Paris looked at me, concerned. She seemed worried, and the desire to keep me next to her fought her desire to hide me. That's probably a good idea. I'll come for you if we need you. Then she saw the white dress in the woman's arms. What are you buying? It's a party dress. What kind of party? The best kind, I said, and stepped into the back room with the clerk. The woman helped me change and took my measurements, taking notes on the results she set aside the dress and gathered all of the accessories. It came with a veil, a fan, a corset, corset cover, underskirt, overskirt, bodice, chemise, bustle, stockings, shoes, gloves, and, of course, bloomers. The dress was the newest fashion, a beautiful satin and lace high bustle accented with orange blossoms, and I couldn't help but run my fingers over it as it sat on the counter. It fits a little big, but... It can be taken in. The alterations should take me two days. We may be gone by then. For an extra charge, I can have it delivered by post. Do you have an address I can send it to? Castor will know where to send it. And he'll arrange payment. Will this be all, or do you need something for your friend as well? She's my wife, I told the girl, with a slight whisper in my voice and a wide grin on my face. Your wife? she asked in surprise. How does that work? Like a dream, I said, and walked back to the main part of the shop. 
Anna, would you like something? We can get you a lovely dress as well. Paris turned to me, smiling. No, I'm okay, thank you, she said with a laugh in her voice. I turned to the shop clerk. Sorry, I guess that will be it for today. I turned away from the woman and tapped Castor on the shoulder. I need you to pay for it. Castor stepped over to the counter, looked down at the receipt, and stopped. This is a wedding dress. It is, I said. We already arranged for a dress specifically for the ceremony. You don't need this. It's not a matter of need. I want it. I want this one. The one that was selected will be sufficient. It's just as fine. It's not just as fine because it's not this one. Castor, it is not appropriate for you to argue with me like this. Or did you forget you're supposed to be the butler? I'm supposed to be the lady. I have forgotten nothing, my lady, Castor said with a tone in his voice that was very unservant-like. But even the finest of ladies has to, on occasion, be told no. Paris had left the window. She put a hand on Castor's shoulder and pulled him from the counter. Without saying a word, she looked down at the receipt. She began to fill it out. Stopping for a moment, noticing that it would need to be shipped, she wrote down the address of the Golden Apple Ranch. Under recipient, she wrote Anna Bell Lee. Pulling out her billfold, she paid for the dress with her own money. She looked at me, and with a smile she said, Consider it a gift. Paris kissed me on the lips, then turned to talk to the shop clerk. Is there a back door? The shop clerk seemed flushed and distracted. I winked at her, and she jumped. Yes, of course, this way, she said as she turned to the back door. It led out to an alley behind the main road. Okay, here's the next plan, Paris said to us as we made our way around the shop. She peeked around the corner for a second, then came back. There are eight of them now. Just like before, talk loud, laugh, act like we don't see them, and make our way to the saloon. Why the saloon? I need to figure out what they want, and I need to do it where people will see. Also, I need to get you to relative safety, just in case things go bad. How will a saloon help me stay safe? There are always people kind enough to lend a hand to someone in need. You just have to be able to recognize them. I'll give you a hint. They don't wear uniforms, unless you pay them extra. We stepped around the corner, and Paris made a big show of laughing. I followed her, genuinely surprised, and my laughter came from a place of real joy. Where did you send the dress? I asked. I sent it to Eddie. I'm sure Anna will put it away till we get there. I laughed out loud. Are you planning to take me home, Anna Lee? Are you planning to keep me all to yourself? This time Paris laughed. That's just what a good wife does. I can't wait. I held her tight and bumped into her as I walked. We laughed louder as Paris took a glance behind her to watch the soldiers following us. There were ten of them now. We stepped into the saloon. It was loud and crowded, but it didn't take Paris long to see that in the back there was a small set of couches on which women sat looking bored. Their dresses were colorful and cut short. Their makeup was beautiful and expertly applied, although it was a little heavier than you would normally think necessary, more like the makeup an actress would wear. Taking my hand, Paris led me to the back. One of the girls, seeing us coming, straightened up and pulled a small book from her side table. When Paris got closer, she looked disappointed and set the book down. We don't do girls, 
I'm sorry, I understand that, Paris explained, and that's not what I'm asking. I seem to be in a little bit of trouble, and I'm not sure what kind. So I was wondering if you could do me a favor and hide my wife. Your wife? The woman perked up, sitting straighter on her couch. Yes. How much to hide her for the day? Well, let me get a better look at her. The woman pulled a pair of spectacles from somewhere within her dress. She set them in place and stood from the couch. She looked at me carefully. She's a pretty one, isn't she? You've done well for yourself. Now let's see. I will keep her in one of the rooms and close it off for the day. Ten dollars. But if you don't return for her tomorrow, she will have to earn her own rent, if you know what I mean. I'm sure that won't be necessary. Paris took the ten-dollar bill from her billfold and handed it to the woman, who immediately hid the bill somewhere on her dress along with her spectacles. "'What's your name, girl?' she asked me. "'Helen,' I said. She turned to the other girls sitting on the couches. "'Girls, show Helen to room two. She'll be staying for a little bit, but don't play with her. She's not a toy.' "'Not yet, anyways.' The woman smiled at Paris as I was led away. "'Anna?' I questioned. "'Don't worry. You'll be safe here. I'll be back for you.' "'Hurry!' And then I was lost in the crowd for a moment and led upstairs. Paris turned to see Castor, looking disappointed. "'Castor, head back to Odie. <laughs> I mean Oscar. Tell him we're in trouble, and I may need his help. Go out the back. Aren't you overreacting?' "'You never know. Maybe. And then we'll catch up with you.' But if not, well, best to meet these things head on. Castor turned and found his way out the back. Paris looked around the saloon to find an open spot. The sun was coming through a window on the second floor, and a large beam of light was focused on a seat across from a group of men playing poker. It was one of the few places in the saloon that was empty, mostly because no one wanted to sit in direct sunlight. Paris walked over and pulled the chair out. Mind if I join you, boys? They would have refused, but they looked at her, guns shining in the sun, and none of them had the courage to tell her no. She sat down, and a waitress, who was watching, walked up immediately. "'How about a drink, cowboy?' the girl asked. "'Water,' Paris ordered. The cavalry, at that point, began to come through the door. "'I think your friends are here,' the waitress said, as she walked off to get the drink. Paris turned to watch the first of them enter the saloon. She sat in her sunbeam a private little spotlight, and as soon as they saw her, she winked at them and turned back to the poker table. As the cavalrymen spread out around the room, the saloon began to get quieter and quieter. A slow shuffle started. People moved away from Paris, leaving her alone, sitting in the sun. One of the men at the table got up to leave, and the others began a new shuffle. Paris set down a silver dollar to play. She was dealt two cards face down. She pulled up the edges to peek at what she had, a two of diamonds and a seven of hearts. Great, she thought. Looks like my luck is about to change. Anna Lee, said one of the cavalry soldiers who had approached her from behind. Paris made no movement or acknowledgement of his presence. She only peeked at her cards again in contemplation of what her next move would be. Excuse me, but you are Anna Lee, are you not? I have been. I have been lots of things. Why do you ask? Paris said, without turning around. You are escorting Helen Taggett, 
Where is she? She's not here. I thought I might play some poker. Are you any good at poker? There's an empty seat. The captain wants to see you. You have to come with me. Why? He will explain that to you. So, you're just a delivery boy sent to give me a message? Then tell me, boy, why does it take ten of you to hand me a note? You have to come with me now. I have been authorized to use force if you resist. There it is, Paris said, as she finally turned from the table to look at the man in the blue uniform. The waitress walked between them. Standing in front of Paris, blocking her view from the man, she handed Paris the water, smiled, and winked, then walked away. As she stepped out between them, the soldier was surprised to see that it was not just the water in Paris's hand. She had one of her guns pointed at him. The soldier stepped back in surprise, but Paris just smiled and slowly put the gun and the water away. Now, I want you to understand that I don't want to have to kill you, but I also need you to understand that I have a job to do, so unless you have a warrant for my arrest, I'm going to sit here at this poker table and do the job I was hired to do. If the captain, whoever he is, wants a word with me, there's an empty chair. I have to bring you in. Those are my orders. You and the girl. Now come with me, and I won't have to shoot you, the soldier said, with his hands on his holsters. In here, with all these people, you're going to get in a gunfight with me now? I'm confident I'm a pretty good shot, but sometimes bullets have a funny way of not stopping with one person. If we do this here, someone could get hurt. Why don't we go outside? You know, like the old days. Haven't you ever wanted to try? Don't you want to be Billy the Kid? Don't you want to try your hand at a legendary gunfighter? Paris stood from her chair. Her head passed outside of the sunbeam, so that the light fell across all of her guns. Her hands rested lightly on the pistols at her hip. Legendary gunfighter, who do you think you are? I'm the daughter of the Reaper, Paris said. The soldier looked back at the other men, then tried to concentrate on Paris. His weight shifted, his feet shuffled. It was subtle, but Paris could see the difference. His confidence was shattered. The, the Reaper? That was twenty years ago. Twenty-one years ago. The Reaper died in Carson City. Did he? Were you there? It doesn't matter. I have my orders. And what are those orders? I can't tell you that. You brought ten armed men to bring in two girls. That is assuming you are all armed. I see a couple of you have rifles. Paris glanced around the room. I can't see the exact model, but I imagine that they are Springfield Army or similar. Breech-loaded. Bullets one shot each, but of course you have bullets in your breeches, don't you? And there's your revolvers, each of you probably carrying a six-shooter. That's sixty-five bullets before anyone has to reload. So I'm surrounded, and if you come here to kill me, I will likely not make it out this door. But I promise you, I promise you on the soul of the Reaper, if it comes to that, you die first. Unless... You answer my question. Were you ordered to kidnap the most beautiful woman in the world and kill her bodyguard? I'm not going to. His words were cut off as Paris' hand blinked to her side and came up again with a gun, its barrel pressed against the man's forehead. 
Yes or no? Answer me now. Yes. See? That wasn't so hard. Now we can do this like civilized people. Paris slowly lowered her weapon as every other cavalryman in the saloon raised theirs to her. She holstered her weapon and held her hand up, showing them that they were empty. But somehow the man in front of her did not believe that made her any less dangerous. How about that quick-draw contest? I mean, after all, you kill me and you'll be a legend. And I would say your odds are better than most. I am a girl, right? We'll make this between you and me. I will count to three, and on three, we'll find out who's fastest. I thought you weren't going to kill me if I told you. No, I certainly was going to kill you if you didn't. Now, at least you have a fighting chance. All you have to do is be faster by the time I get to three. I'll count to three. I tell you what, just so that it's fair, we'll flip a coin to see who gets to count. Paris turned to the table and picked up the silver dollar. She set it carefully in her hand. Would you prefer heads or tails? Paris asked. Heads? the man replied. Paris turned the coin over in her hand. All right, then. I'm tails. Ready? He nodded. Paris took a quick glance around the room. The entire bar was watching. Paris pulled her hand back and flipped the coin high into the air. Everyone's heads looked up at the silver dollar as it spun in the sunlight. Everybody looked up. Everybody, except for Paris. Paris took the opportunity to punch the man in the jaw, and then she ran from the saloon, leaving the soldier unconscious on the floor. The rest of the bar rose to their feet to see her run. The soldiers could not make it back to the entrance as the crowd pushed forward. She turned to look back at them, gave a slight bow and a wave, then continued running. It wasn't the best plan, she thought, but sometimes you have to improvise and clean up your mess later. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Lee, artwork by Helen Lee, performed by Helen and Paris. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead, except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of our work at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at helenoftheironhorse at gmail.com. The proceeding was made with the love and encouragement of all of our friends at the L.A. LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you.